Hello, Finn here, host of Passport People, and before you get started on this episode, I'm going to take a quick moment to tell you about the Island Life Productions Patreon. As a company, we have given professional credits to over 50 artists since becoming legally established in 2019, and that's all thanks to the kindness of our amazing donors, who have ensured we've been able to pay emerging artists to create high-quality work. Aside from doing their bit to change the world, however, Patreon subscribers also get access to a crazy amount of bonus content we've made, from travel vlogs in Andalusia, Scotland, London, and New York, to podcasts from my journeys around the 92, to content from our Money Talks and Welcome to the Quids In series, and exclusive company updates. To join the island and support the work we do for as little as £2 per month, head to patreon.com slash islandlifeproductions and help us develop the next generation of brilliant emerging artists. Right, let's get back to the episode. This is what happens when you take a Christmas break from doing stuff as you come back after it and you're just like, what am I doing? How does this work? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I know that feeling. (laughs) New Year's, eh? Salutations, one and all, and welcome to Passport People, the podcast where we talk to people about the places that matter to them. I'm your host, Finn, and today I am joined by the wonderful, the amazing, the marvellous Sabine. How are you doing, Sabine? I'm very fine. Thank you. Very Thank you for fine. inviting me. I like it. It's like, I'm fine, but I'm extremely fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's totally fine. It's like the state of the world. It's really, it's really year. fine. <laughs> And Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year. Um, We are recording this immediately after um, the new year on January 2023. This is is the first thing uh, that I think either of us are doing that's like proper organized related um, since things started. So if we sound a little bit rusty, that's why we will will warm up into this process and hopefully uh, there'll be something interesting to go off of it. Um, Sabine, tell the listeners about you. Uh, well, so I'm just a girl living in France, like in the suburbs of Paris, uh, in a small town called Acher, um, in the region of Ile-de-France. And uh, basically, uh, I'm, a aspir- I'm an aspiring a wannabe actress, actually. Um, I am very passionate about it theater, drama, and cinema. Uh, and yeah, I'm just uh, trying to get into my dream, basically. As as we all are. Um, Sabine, when people ask you where you're from, how do you answer that question? Uh, usually, um, in a small town, like near Paris, not exactly Paris, but like not very far from it. <laughs> Paris-ish. Yeah, I, I, I guess so, but like, I'm just like in, you know, the very, that small town who could be considered as, you know, the suburbs, um, but kind of quite w- just a little bit for um, like the big suburbs, not like 
the the smallest where you can have like all the richest towns like my town is it used to be a communist town like until maybe uh yeah it was we changed that in 2014 actually and so we are just surrounded by kind of yeah richest people actually <laughs> are you saying that up until 2014 your town was like officially communist yeah kind of <laughs> kind of okay. like uh, actually yeah um the the mayor back then was uh was from the communist party oh, and wow. so and hist- yeah and historically like it was that party um who ran the town like for almost a hundred years so when people ask you where you're from you can just say the communist part yeah <laughs> that'll do it <laughs> And that's that's kind of a funny thing because my actually my parents um, my parents are Vietnamese and they fled uh, the communist regime. <laughs> yeah, I know that's the paradox. I always said about myself that I'm just a walking paradox. See, this is how you should have described yourself at the beginning, Sabine. <laughs> walking girl living in France, walking paradox. The walking paradox. I think I just. I just I just have to add that on my biography. Par- paradox in, in with some legs. Way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Mademoiselle Paradox with Legs. Where are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about Paris, actually. Um, the, the And especially, like, the cultural things in Paris. Uh, as you know, I am a very fond of cinematic theatre, as I introduced myself. Um, and because, like, there's so much places and venues in Paris that I still have to discover. And uh, because I spend so much time seeing plays and movies, so that's my go-to. We do need to explain to the listeners, I think, that we are technically talking about Paris, but they might be yeah. confused when the title of this uh, podcast isn't Paris. It's something mm-hmm. called the Ile de France. The Ile de France, it's sort of the Paris, the greater Paris region. So it's like Paris outside of that main uh, peripheric area. Is that how you'd best describe it? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Like, um, it's like the, the Ile de France is like the big region where uh, Paris uh, is a part of, like the center of it. Uh, and just around Paris, you can just find the suburbs. Like, the very closest suburbs are kind of the, like, you have um, what we call, um, how, do, how can I say that? Like, uh, the closest areas from Paris where you can have in the West, like, um, some big towns and rich towns, um, such as, like, Neuilly or Levallois. And on the other side, uh, you can have very different cities um and that's the difference here they are like it's actually what we call the banlieue like the kind of the cliche of the banlieue uh where you have some um poorer areas um such as saint denis or bobigny and uh, and such as where it's it's like it's a kind of a weird phenomenon where you had the rich on one side and the poorest on the other side and then again farther than that you have like 
talents like mine um and again you can have like the beginning of kind of a countryside actually it's very 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 varied like it's very different whether you can go um could be on the east or the west like it could be so different it's got it's like a unique like an entire universe is concentrated on this region what a way to sell the episode all that coming up on this episode of passport people talking about paradoxes earlier and the many paradoxes that make up who you are here's a here's a paradox that we can start this episode with when you're in paris clearly you're on the ile de france because as we were saying the ile de france is that um that kind of greater paris region but as someone who lives in a town that is not kind of in that immediate paris area when you're on the ile de france but you're in those suburbs do you still feel parisian or do you almost feel like it's a sort of separate identity in itself? Um, it's kind of both, actually. Well, uh, talking to my from my point of view, and also because I spend a lot of time actually in Paris. Like I, when I'm not in my home, uh, in my hometown, I'm just wandering around. Like always, go to Paris because I just need to go there to see my friends, to just base or just going to see a movie, to see a play. Um, but I, I can say that there are some other people still in here in Asher who... Those people don't do that and they just stay in here and so they don't feel Parisian at all. So it's kind of... It's just like... It really depends on the people. Like, I'm, so, I'm a person who needs to go, like, who needs to walk, who needs to go wander around. Um, but, like... It's just because I really need to go see something. I really need to go there. But on the other hand, um, I have some friends who are just way more... Um, they have that, like, we can go to the movies, like, in here. They don't really need to go just to Paris because they are like, oh, well, no, we have that in town. Just don't really need to go and take take the train for 30 minutes so it's yeah it's very very and that really depends on people actually it's interesting that you say that because uh, obviously we sort of know each other through um our mutual friend and my wife melanie um and mm -hmm. she as you know is is a super super uh, urbanite urban loving person she will refer to edinburgh where we live and strasbourg where she grew up as a sort of small town where you know people are sort of much smaller minded and and don't really understand this concept of like there being a world out there and want to describe it a lot of what she said chimes with kind of your description of some of the people that live in these areas that that you grew up in do you do you think that with some of these parts of town um, and and parts of the region, I suppose that it, it does almost feel a little bit rural, a bit like a like a small town, even though it's part of this much bigger thing. 
Yeah, I, I think so. Um, because like, um, as you know, um, it's very, it was more about, a, I think, a political thing. Uh, because um, back in the days, uh, when, and uh, I could be an example, my family could be an example of that, when there were a lot of immigrants getting in here, um, they, there was a lot of people uh, who was like, yeah, we just need them to like put put them in this area specifically and and then they just go on with it and yeah it's kind of like maybe try to mixing up the different cultures but not so much actually because uh, like we have the people just want to uh stay um like in this sort of a status quo i think if i may say um and so yeah it's it's kind of a complicated thing actually to to think um but uh <laughs> no i think i just lost what i wanted to say um I, i'll ask a follow-up question maybe that'll help you kind of get your maybe, thought process yeah. back are, are you saying that when your family came to uh paris that they didn't choose where you where you guys ended up they were sort of allocated it by the government actually yes um they actually my, my mom just followed her big sister and um they that's where that's where she met my dad and they ended up in the same area and then other Vietnamese people uh, were like dispatched around the um, around the region, but most of them like at some point. I remember what, what my mom told me. It was she arrived in a city, and then um, her her half her her half sister just called her back uh, in now my town, actually my hometown where I live, um, and. It was just more like we had that's her family she has to stick with her um and because it was basically easier because my mom didn't speak french at the time um and uh, so it was more like a way to survive actually that's so interesting and so in a in a way the ile de france almost consists of these areas that have almost been Again, I don't know what the right word is, but sort of designed by the French government and, and the local government, presumably, to be these areas in which people from these different places are almost uh, are allocated to. And it's, it sounds interesting because it sounds like, on the one hand, there is a there's a slight ghettoization to that. Like, there is a sense of we're putting all the people from this culture in the same area. But obviously, yeah. people from different... Uh, cultures with differing beliefs are also being put into those same areas and so on the one hand it must it it must kind of make you feel quite at home to have so many people who you can relate to being immediately nearby but it mm -hmm. also must make kind of being kind of gradually brought into this kind of French identity a lot more complicated yeah Exactly, and uh, that, yeah, that, that, that's a question that I would probably uh, be asking like uh, at some point in the, in a few weeks. Um, but like, it's like you know when 
I, I was born here in France. I, I spent my entire life in France, um, but um, I, I grew up just with my Vietnamese family. But we, my, I remember my parents were very, very, very um, like, they were like, just join France, just be a French person. And just don't forget where your parents and you you have a Vietnamese uh, ancestry, but um, you have to be just don't make things complicated and so much com so and way too complicated. Uh, just try to fit in uh, as a French person. And yeah, basically that's my entire life. I feel like I'm a French person. I was born in France, grew up in France. Uh, my most of my friends uh, were um, all French people, um, but at some point, sometimes I'm just feel like, yeah, but I know how I'm enti not entirely like a hundred percent from France. Actually, like my blood is I'm from Vietnamese blood, but um, it's kind of a complicated thing since like so at because of some of like the. As you know, maybe uh, the Asian community was was seen like, you know, the good immigrants because we were so much like integrated in here. But at some point, almost like we forgot who we who we are, and um, it's almost like a hypocritical thing uh, since I'm a French person, but like people know that I'm not entirely French. And so it's kind of complicated to uh, handle it with this duality um, because I'm perfectly French, I speak French, I grew up in France, uh, but for some people, they would not see me as a French person. And how has knowing that, and obviously as you, when, when you're a kid, you don't really think about these things. You're just like, mm -hmm. I am who I am. And, you know, yes, that person looks kind of similar to me and that person looks kind of different and that's okay and I don't really care. But as you as you grow older and you understand the, the politics and the diversity kind of identity things going on and you understand this concept of, you know, where are you from? No, where are you really from? And, you know, this kind of big, massive debate going on about identity, which, you know, is is arguably more of a of a kind of point of contention in France than so many other countries. How how comfortable have you felt? And again, I'm I'm trying to think of exactly how I want to frame this question. How has your relationship with kind of that that complicated identity evolved over time in terms of how comfortable you feel not only living in France, but even just living in your in your neighborhood? Uh, when I was young, uh, I never I never thought about it because I was like, yeah, very integrated. My neighbors were all very kind with me um, because I was like just basically like my direct neighbors uh, are one of my best friends, grandparents. And so I always consider them like like my grandparents. Um, but, um, like when, actually, when I think about it, I, I know how even in kindergarten, I was, I, I, I faced racism 
um, I remember I, I very I remember very well this this little girl um, who was so mean to me, like just telling me like you know very harsh words, uh, like because I'm Vietnamese, but to her I was just a Chinese person, and I was like no, actually no. But then I grew up and I. I know how it wasn't her fault. It was more of her parents, like it's something. It's just an educational thing. Um, so I just kind of, I never really actually. When we grew up, I, I heard about how she never really changed. Actually, she was still mean to people, and was like, "Well, I'm gone with my life. Just ignore her. All right, that's okay." But now uh, I'm. Full grown up, and the more I try to get on my life, and the more I'm like, ah, how it's so tiring. But also, like, I've just tried to get on with it, and all the, all these things about my identity is like, well, that's who I am, and I'm trying to go on and just try to. Make abstraction about all the bad stuff, and at some point, I think I will. Maybe I would change that answer in a in in a few years, maybe. But like right now, in my state of mind, I'm like, just go on with your life, and you will be fine. And was that further complicated when you realized you wanted to be an actress, and you realized, hang on, this doesn't exactly seem like a career that feels very accepted in this area. Definitely, I, I, I think most of most of my time I'm just like, why did you choose that path? Like, I just it, it's all it's like kind of just my a little dream girl, uh, and it's it's like a, a very unrealistic dream. But uh, and it, even more when you're from uh, an Asian family where all the artistic world is so messy and you're like that's that's not a real job and i was like well yeah actually it is but yeah and living in france and wanting to be an actress uh when you're not um uh, basically white it's very complicated and that's what that's why it's kind of funny that we are recording this today because um um i was in a conversation yesterday with uh, a young director and uh, who's also an Asian person, and she told me like, uh, like she has a project about uh, actually about this question, and the fact that you can be very talented, you can have everything, you can be like the most talented person, the most talented actress in there, but because you're not white, you can't pretend to some parts, and that's very harsh to deal with it and so you're, you're like well I, I guess I just should I, maybe I should just go away and find in another country where I can be accepted and that's that's also why I I can describe myself as a paradox because like I really want to do this but I perfectly know that it would be a very very difficult path and I'm just but I'm like, well, I know how it would be harsh and it would be very, very hard to me. But, well, I will try. And I still have 
kind of a backup plan. That's why I'm very, I'm very lucky, like to be, to have people with me. Um, uh, firstly, like all my group of friends who are with me in, um, in my acting class, and um, basically my my acting teacher who's very supportive, and um, uh, yeah, uh, I still have my. Through my studies, also like my years of study, where where I met Melanie, um, and we all shared like all those dreams of cinema, and so I still have some a backup plan of getting into this field, um, even if it's not like as an actress. I still have this passion for other things around culture, so I still, I guess I still have like this. Maybe not that safety safety net, but kind of. Yeah, that safety net of uh, yeah, I'll I'll just be an administrator, or I'll be a director, or you know, all all those other jobs that we that we non actors uh, <laughs> try very hard to get into. Yeah, and that's why I say that um, I I'm still very I'm very lucky to have s- such supportive people around myself because um, I remember just like my teachers said uh, to me that he talked with some other people in the in the class and they were like yeah uh, Sabine wants to work in the cinema but like not in the not in the right side like she should be in front of the camera and play and act not behind and doing all the admin- all the paper stuff and all Listeners, when I'm not podcasting, you'll often find me enjoying football. And I'm feeling part of feeling. So much so that I've been travelling England for the last eight years trying to visit all 92 stadiums in the top four leagues. Wow, 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 wow. And now, I'm on to the final ten. It's got this vibe of if a small English town just kept growing. So I decided to take you guys with me for the last part of my crazy adventure. Oh, deary me. Deary, deary me. 10 English stadiums, 10 towns, 10 episodes, the end of one epic journey. Quest for the 92, the home stretch, is out now. Just head to patreon.com slash islandlifeproductions and search Quest for the 92. Let's talk more about your love of culture. You've experienced a lot of film and theatre all over Paris. You are Mm. clearly uh, very passionate about all things uh, centred around arts and culture and and telling stories uh, through creativity. When when you realised that this was something that you were interested and when you became old enough to go and sort of go to the cinema and go to plays by yourself, did you end up having to go into Paris in order to go and see all that sort of thing? Or were there cinemas and theatres nearby that you could experience first before you uh, kind of went to the big lights of Paris? Firstly, uh, it was in my hometown uh, because like 
were quite kind of lucky in France to have uh, during school school days. Sometimes uh, our teachers just um, organized some like uh, movie going uh, events, like or because they can link uh, link that to uh, to a lesson or anything like that. So when I was a, when I was younger, when I was like a little girl, I remember like one of my very first um, movie-going memory was um, Le Roi et l'Oiseau by Paul Grévaux, which is an animated uh, film, a French animated film, uh, very very famous actually. I don't remember the English title actually of it, but um, I Le remember Roi that. Le Roi et l'Oiseau. Yeah, Le Roi et l'Oiseau. So uh, don't know the the English title, but Literally, it's it's the king and the bird. Yep, I but I, I have never the, heard the, of the this actual, film ever. <laughs> but I don't really, I don't remember the actual uh, international title if there is one. I think I, I should search that. It, it, I it's called the King and the Mockingbird. Prior to twenty thirteen, ah, yeah. it was released in English as the King and Mister Bird. Yeah, I have never heard of this film ever. That's... <laughs> That's that's a very beautiful film. Uh, that's a very I, I I remember. It's kind of it's also kind of a funny, funny one. But see, but it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to me that culturally, and Mel and I have had this conversation plenty of times in the past. That a film was something that you got brought to by your school, because mm. in the in the UK. And again, I know that like cultural differences, France has a history that's much more linked to cinema, to cinema than the UK does. And yet, you know, the only time you will ever see a film in school in the UK is because it's the end of term and the teachers uh, yeah. don't really, you know, want to have to teach a lesson. So it's like, oh, let's do something fun before the summer and, you know, we'll just we'll just stick a film on. It's, well, it's... actually, we do that too. We do that too. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's it's clear to me that you guys view cinema as much more about this identity of kind of increasing your cultural horizons and seeing good stuff. And you know, I I've never seen this film before, but I can tell from the Wikipedia page that I've very very quickly typed up that it's very beautiful animation and it's uh, a Hans Christian Andersen uh, fairy tale. And you know, all of these all of these little things that don't seem like they're much, but they they increase the cultural horizons of a person and at the very least kind of allow them to to dream and imagine a world beyond the the one that is immediately in front of them. And when you see, yeah. well, Avatar 2 has just come out in the cinemas. When you see how crazy people go for Avatar, which is a story that has not only very, very poorly put together, but has been told millions and millions of times, you see that what makes that film so popular and what makes Marvel and DC Comics films so popular is this idea of dreaming beyond a world that is immediately in front of you and it's nice that as part of your education even though you weren't in kind of a super urban parisian environment that you were still given access to these things and still given the sort of tools to be able to appreciate good uh cinema yeah um i but well, right now, uh, I think I should ask to some teacher if it's still the case because, like, it was like twenty years ago. I was just still like uh, in primary school, I think, 
And also, we're kind of lucky. We're kind of lucky here in Asher because, like, we have a, we have, a, we still have an independent cinema, actually, um, and uh, so it's very, it's very cheap, and they have a really, really good lineup, um, and the people here are very, very kind. So um, I've always loved to be going in there. But actually, my love for cinema uh, really, really rose when I. When I was in high school, um, I wasn't really into it um, before. I just enjoyed going in there because because my school brought me there. But I wasn't really actually into it until I met uh, a lot of actors and especially voice actors. I was like fourteen, and I, you know, in France when you are at school, like in in middle school. Um, when you're like 14 years old around, uh, you have to, uh, and you still have to spend one week uh, in internship just to discover uh, the working working world, basically. And so back then, uh, I, I've done my internship in a dubbing studio. And so I, I spent the entire week, and I was very lucky, because I spent the entire week uh, just, I just assisted at different recording sessions. And so I just spent, spent my week like meeting actors, uh, voice actors, and see how they can dub a lots of anime in French. And it was so stunning to me. And it was at this point I was like, yeah, I want to do that in my life. That's, that's what I want to do. Uh, just being, just, I want to become an actress because of that. I want to interpret, I want to play, I want to act. And just, Sabine will not exist anymore. It would be the character <laughs> and just telling stories about that. And this is, this is one of the most beautiful things uh, in the world to me. Um, and I, actually, my teacher, I'm... I met my teacher back then uh, in this studio. No um, way! Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's it's been ten years that we know each other. It's kind of it's kind of crazy to think about that. And so, yeah, you may not know the answer to this question. Do you know if? Because it's very unusual to me that in in Ager, in this in this town that you grew up in that there would be an independent cinema. Do you know? Do you know if cinemas like that get subsidies from the government? Actually, there's a plenty of them. Okay. But you, you, but you really have to find them. Uh, I, I think, I guess you can have, you can find a list uh, on the internet of the very different independent cinemas. And uh, like they can have, uh, when they have, a, a, they are labeled like ARC. I don't know if you like maybe you yeah. can ask to Melanie, but yeah, they there's a label called ARSE, uh, which is given to um, to independent cinemas or any cinemas who can um, uh, who can well basically they, because they have in their lineup uh, very different uh, movies and like and first of all in independent movies uh, very auteur um, and European for most of them uh, and I, I told you about the fact that I was I, I wanted to become an actress because of voice actors and so 
because I watched a lot of and I assisted to different dubbing sessions. But again, paradox. Um, they have to um, to have their movies uh, in the original version with subtitles. Uh, very few dubbed stuff. Uh, the exception, the only exceptions, of course, for um, uh, movies who are just aiming for the kids. Um, like, of course, uh, but yeah, uh, it's, there's like a, a list of things that a cinema have to do to have this label. But sorry, to, to, to ask the question again, just try and understand, do you know if those cinemas receive money from the government in any yeah. way? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's why they have this label. This oh, label okay. is like the proof of... Of yeah, they can pretend to have uh, those um, those this money from the government. See, that's really fascinating because it shows that even in areas that aren't sort of traditionally kind of film loving, that the government is willing to invest money into cinemas being there that can support a love of film. It's 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 fascinating. I find it really interesting. Mm. Anyway, we could we could talk about this all day, but it's really really good that 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 exists um, across the Ile de France. Um, the Olympics are coming to Paris uh, next year, as we as we read this, which is crazy, um, and it looks like the city is going to use those games as a means of uh, showcasing a lot of the Ile de France uh, region, particularly. Uh, Saint-Denis, where a lot of the stuff is happening, but various other parts of the region as well. You you call the Ile de France home. Is is the Olympics coming to town and doing this a good thing? Uh, if you had asked me this question like 15 years ago, I would say, oh, absolutely. Like, I'm so excited to have like, such a big event in my near my home. But like, Today, as a grown-up, I'm like, I'm very worried about this because, yeah, it would be a very great um, window to to the region. But as the state of what it is today, it's a very complicated thing. It's very... And we, we saw that, like, with the diff, all the uh, previous uh, events, uh, all the previous Olympics, where, where you can see in big cities now all the installations are like basically now in ruins and so and right now it's and right now like economically it's a very tricky thing uh like <laughs> basically like the public transports it's a mess like a big uh, I just I don't want to. I can see I, you want to swear. I want to swear, but I will not. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think you got the idea. Yeah, it's a it's a big mess, big effing mess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like right right now, we just uh, as two days ago uh, at the yeah start of new year, but they now are basically our our card and just. The price we have to pay for public transport, it's now we, they. Well, basically, we have to pay like around 15 euros more. Oh, wow. Euro. And so we're like, and, and we, we're, everybody's like, oh, well, we should be 
kind of happy that it was now we now we have to spend like 85 euros for a month but we should be happy that it's not a hundred but it's still very expensive and i'm still like ah yeah all right so i have to pay like not exactly 100 and i should be happy about that but only 85 euros a month but well it's very 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 uh, it, because there's it they have a, a lots of difficulties with we have less uh people working in there because well they are not really paid really well and uh, so of course there's less people wanting to to work um, in those fields and so we have less basically we have less transports and so uh, we have to pay more with a service uh, which is a less well, yeah it's smaller now actually I would say yeah it's smaller and we just struggle with it, but I can't. I, I can't really be angry to those people because I know how it's hard. I know how they are paid very low for what they are doing, and so I'm like, well, I guess I should just find other other way to go to Paris or just find the. At this time, I have this train. All right, I should go with this, but it's yeah. I I'm still kind of frustrated to pay so much money for for this well i guess this brings us into another huge question around a very similar subject which is that gentrification is also uh mm. happening across a lot of the ile de france and and obviously that means that um you know paris is a big city 2.7 percent of the entire eu population lives there um naturally uh, it means that the prices of things like housing and rent are going up all across the region and people that maybe can't afford to live in actual Paris are, are going out to other parts of the region in order to find places that are very easily connected into the city centre. Um, what what effect, for, as, as someone who presumably will have seen a lot of this happen already, has that meant for the region as a whole? Uh yeah very interesting question uh i don't know if i will be the great person to ask about it but uh yeah i i think it's more yeah it's now that you mentioned that it's more actually you know what now that you mentioned that i can think about how asher is also in a state of gentrification like there are more new um new houses and like it's not more any of us yeah th there's like less social um housing and now now that i think about this um yeah it's very very harsh question um i think about this like it's kind of actually it's kind of a being back in the days when my parents arrived and they were just put in this area and now they have to leave and it's kind of a very because how rent just goes higher and higher um but right right now it's a very very complicated thing to because we're all like 
we are at home, but now we have some people are just like we have to leave, but also or just basically we stay uh, with our parents. I don't really know if it's more like about uh, the fact that there are more people who want to live in there because like it's it's such a it's such an area where there's so much to do. Uh, but it's all I think it's also because like it's very uh, it's very central about um, about the people who are working. Like uh, there's a lot of uh, companies who are all. Basically, I just told you about uh, about cinema and about dubbing, and like most of the work is in Paris. Like it's very, it's always very complicated. Like now, there's also some uh, some studios who are now like uh, in Lyon or other big cities, but like most of the work is in Paris. Like it's very centralized, um, and and then again, um, ah, I just. I just don't know how to explain this, actually. Um... Well, I, can I suggest a, a, an interesting way to explain it? Your your parents came over to France. They they made their home in in this town. Mm. It's interesting to think that if your parents came today to Paris under the same circumstances, that they would probably not be able to afford to move to where you are now, mm. and that that in turn creates a lot of interesting different questions in terms of, well, what does that mean in terms of the identity of that area? What does it mean in terms of that place where, as we were saying earlier, all these communities from around the world have come to these areas and and called them home? What does it mean for all the people who are being priced out and are having to move, you know, maybe further and further out into the outskirts of the Ile-de-France region, but also potentially to, to other cities because they just can't afford to be in this place that they've called home for so long. I mean, it's it's mm. kind of scary in a way. It's very scary. I, actually, I think it's more... It, like, like now, I'm thinking about uh, about In the Heights, like the Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, musical and then, and then movie, which is basically about it. Like uh, you have lived in an area like for all, your entire life, but then there's a gentrification. There's a lot of more richer people coming in because like, oh, well, that's great. It's cheaper. And so, well, the rents went higher. And yeah, it's very scary. But like uh, here we're still in, um, uh, in a social apartment, actually. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Today it would be very, very difficult, I guess, um, to find like a good area to live and like not the and to be as as affordable as it is now. So it's yeah, it's, I I think I think we shall see in the future uh, how is it going. But it's also like the new rich people, yeah, the new rich people um, who are like. Who just tried to uh, get in a nice area for like quite a very cheaper, uh, at a very cheaper price actually. Oh, Sabine, you're a fan of the podcast. You know that when you talk about, uh, we'll see what happens in the future. You're leaning right into the final question of the podcast. 
Um, and mm. I'm, you know what I'm going to ask you? You know that I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out and predict what is going to happen for the future of the Ile de France. We've talked about gentrification. We've talked about the Olympics next year. Um, we didn't get around to talking about things like uh, the banlieue and all the different situations around that. Um, there's a lot of different ways that it feels like the Ile de France as a region can go. What do you think is going to happen? Um... Ah, uh, if only I can see the future because it's so, so messed up. I think actually to think about this. Ah, uh, uh, it's very pessimistic of my from, from my side. Oh, that's ah uh, very weird. I'm usually a very optimistic person, but like well, uh, for now, um, I think we. Oh, maybe I'm very biased because I have some friends uh, on my side about this. Uh, I'm still uh, hoping that we sh we sh we can find some solutions about this. About um, I'm a very I'm very I'm a very idealistic person. So I I just hope uh, that everybody can have the life that they want. Um, but from the states of now, uh, I'm very very worried about just. Thinking about all the big events um, that we are like, just we talked about the Olympics and how it could be a very great window, but also like the that waiting bomb economically. Um, so I, I'm, it's just like ah, oh, I want to be so optimistic about this, but yeah. Uh, Personally, I just hope that it would be better for everyone. Uh, but there's like a little, a tiny bit of my brain who's, who's there, who's just like, well, we all messed up. And finally, um, I know that this is a complicated question because as we've, as we've said on the podcast, the Ile de France is literally this big ring that goes around Paris. So we're mm. talking about areas as wealthy as La Défense, as poor as Saint-Denis, uh, tourist attractions as old as Versailles, as new as Disneyland. So this is, a, this is possibly a, an even bigger question than it is when I normally ask it. But if someone comes, if someone ventures to Paris and ventures outside of, of the périphérique, what can they do to have the proper experience of what it's like to to be and exist on the Ile de France? Ah, oh, big question, because it's so different. Whether whether you are, uh, whether when you are just arrived in a city in Ile de France, it would be so different of the next one. So I guess it's just like, just uh, take your time and just discover everything you can because there's always something to discover. I still, like, as I said, I'm, I just want to go find any venue. And so even in, in the suburbs, we have different theaters, we have different um, cinemas uh, and we have castles, actually. Um, Asher is like literally next to Saint-Germain-en-Laye, which has a castle in which was... Um, which was back in the days like the king's domain um, with Versailles. So there's so much to do and to see in there. Um, and you have everything, like if you want to be in sports event, like, you know, uh, in Saint-Denis, you have the Stade de France. Uh, 
whether you are in Marla Valley, you have Disneyland, uh, Versailles uh, with the big castle and the gardens. The gardens are very beautiful. And you can actually, I, th I think you can just wandering around the gardens like for free, uh, if I remember well. Um, but it's even the entrance for the castle is not that expensive, actually. Um, and so just take your time, schedule everything. You can find anything and you will not be over. Uh, you, you will not getting like the all of the Parisian and the Ile-de-France culture. It's always, it's so big that you can't do everything like just uh, in one day or in one week. It's impossible. Even in inside Paris, like uh, as you know, uh, I'm getting to see a lot of plays. And recently I just only discovered the Théâtre du Châtelet. I just I saw 42nd Street and it was the very first time I get into this theater. Um, whereas like a week before I I was in a, in a very tiny theater um, uh, and there's another and again another um, and there's so much to do and it's also like you have the opera uh, you you have it. Like at the heart in Paris, you have the opera, like Opera Garnier, but then they also, they also have Bastille, which is like way more recent. Like you have Garnier, which is like a very historical place, and then Bastille, which is still, um, which is still the opera, but like this building, uh, is basically from the late eighties, if I remember. So yeah. So basically, get on the RER and go explore. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. <laughs> if, if you if you if it's working well, actually. If it's, if it's working, working, just full stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's always something to do in Paris and the Ile-de-France. Like uh, it's 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 so so big culturally speaking. Amazing, Sabine. Thank you so much for coming on to Passport People. Well, thank you for having me. It's such an honor. Of course, of course. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed uh, this episode as much as uh, we've enjoyed having this conversation. Uh, this has <laughs> been the season of the kindness of strangers where I've been talking to 10 people who I've had a maximum of one conversation with up until this point. Um, and it's been it's been a wild adventure so far as you've been experiencing, but I'm really looking forward uh, to the remaining episodes. I hope you guys are as well. Uh, we will be back next week uh, talking to another fantastic stranger from another incredible part of the world. Uh, but for now, from Sabine and I, it is goodbye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Passport People. The music was by Harry Bongo, and the cover art was by Maya Pierce. Learn more about us by visiting our at Island Life Productions page on all social networks, visiting our Patreon at patreon.com slash islandlifeproductions, or by visiting our website at islandlifeproductions.com.